I mean, because you, as you know, and I know, uh, everybody sees both ends, yeah. I think. Most yeah. people understand of the need for privacy in this privacy in this society. On the other hand, we live in a world in which we're worried about the spread of people uh, who wish us ill. Yeah. And we want to, if we can, stop that. Yes. And I think the future is going to be fundamentally different from the past. It's very hard to think of past examples and transfer them for the future. We have this enormous cybersecurity threat. Every year in cybersecurity is different from the previous year, the type of things happening. We just see the top of the iceberg. Um, there's a saying for companies, there's only two types of companies, the ones that have been hacked and the ones that don't know they've had been hacked. And that's just the beginning. So you either hacked or you don't yeah. know you've been hacked. Yeah. We see also a time where terrorists um, organize very differently from the past and use modern media to communicate in very different ways. We see unrest in places like Syria. And I think the type security we need and the mechanism we need for the future are fundamentally different from what we had in the past. I want to be careful about this, so, but this is what I think I read, uh, that the law enforcement in Paris has said that some of those uh, terrorists, you know, who made those attacks in Paris, killing all those people, used uh, at least two apps uh, that essentially were encrypted. And that's a good they, question. They've talked I mean, about WhatsApp and they've talked about Telegram, I think. Yeah, and that, that raises the, the important question to what extent should government have access to this. And honestly, when I think back on September 11, which is now a long time ago, um, that data was available and it wasn't really found. Um, and had it been found, we could have prevented probably the, the biggest the terrorist attack ever this country has ever experienced. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the last one. I think it's going to be new ones coming. And I think we should openly look into this. For me, um, the three-letter agencies, including the NSA, serve an important purpose. And right. it's important for the country. Okay. Uh, let me talk about artificial intelligence, subject that I'm doing a profile on, or a story on 60 Minutes about. Where are we? We are really far advanced. We have artificial intelligence systems that can beat and, 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 and outperform humans in tasks that are not just mundane tasks, um, but that are really highly intellectual tasks. Like what? For example, driving a car. Right. The Google self-driving car now exceeds in driving performance uh, what people can do. Flying a plane. Pilots today in bad weather. Uh, commercial pilots have to use autopilots if available. They can't fly manually anymore uh, if the weather is too bad. Um, and we see it in other areas. Um, we are, I mean, I don't think the, the, the step towards having an artificial intelligence lawyer or an accountant is, is that far off. Because then you can digitize all that. Yeah. There's been a new set of technologies called deep learning. Yes. Deep learning is perhaps the most fascinating work in artificial intelligence. What it really is, is, is um, a model of the human brain. It's something called a neural network, which we all have in our, yeah. our brain, right. trained with massive amounts of data. The technology itself is about 20 years old. We had it 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, we didn't have the data. And now we have this amazing amount of data and we have these amazing amount of machines. We can build networks with like hundreds of billions of free parameters, so you to speak. You mean data on everything? Data on everything. Yeah. And every time we train uh, something, the outcome uh, gets better and better and better. Uh, i give you one example. I have two students at Stanford, uh, Brett and Andre, whom I asked this spring uh, to train uh, a visual recognizer for skin cancer. And they found about 100,000 images online that they could license or use. And then they trained a neural network, a deep network, to recognize skin cancer. By simply and an observation through a camera's eyes. Through a camera, through, a, through an iPhone. You yeah. take your phone out and you look there at your skin and out comes uh, Because the it, they've got such 
a database, yeah. you know, that they can say, yes, this is it. No or human expert. Or at least expert. you need to go ask a question. No human expert ever looks at 100,000 images. So, yeah. that, so the computer has the advantage. So we tested this with Stanford. We found dermatologists say, can we compare you? And we beat this person by like 20%. So we asked the question, who are the best dermatologists in the nation? And it turns out one of them is also at Stanford, so we found him, and we compared him, and we're still beating him in terms of performance. So, so what does he say about that? It's an interesting debate. I don't mean from an ego, ego standpoint, but I mean, does he say, wow, this is an important development yeah. uh, in my field? Yeah. I mean, it really means that we could uh, bring like, world expert dermatology expertise to anybody who has a phone, including anybody in the developing world, including people at home. Uh, one of the main problems people don't find skin cancer is they just don't consult doctors. Right. And it's Until a, it's, it's an early development. But, but here's an artificial intelligence thing. Right. In terms of AI, with this amount of data, uh, a machine can see so much more data than a human being. If the learning capability is unlimited, we will surpass human intelligence. And it's predictable we surpass.